Lord, we give you great thanks for um, your love for us, the love that you have shown um, in sending your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we get to experience that love, um, not only directly from you, but from the love that we have uh, in each other, in this community. And help us, Lord, as we come to this text and as we um, sit under uh, this text, that you will speak to us and transform us and transform us into a loving community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are many days, I guess, in history that could claim to have changed the world, but one day in February, year 313, could definitely take that claim. In February uh, 313, uh, Emperor Constantine of the Roman Empire declared that Christianity would no no longer be a persecuted religion, that they would have freedom to worship everywhere, and the property that had been confiscated would be returned to uh, to the Christians. And of course, it was a well-known fact that Constantine had become Christian recently. So persecution ended and the properties were returned. But whether this was a good thing for Christianity or not overall is debatable. Before the edict, you really had to make a radical decision to become a Christian. Being a Christian stood so against the values of the world they worshipped uh, they, they worshiped Jesus in sites filled with temples, uh, uh, temples to, to idols. Even now, if you go to Ephesus or go, uh, uh, in, in many of these Greek cities, you will see the remnants of these idols. Christians also defied social class, gender and ethnicity. Masters and slaves, Jews and Greeks, men and women met together to worship Jesus together, which was, a, 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 was very different from how they ordered the society. Christians also valued the weak, took care of babies, unwanted babies that are thrown out in the streets. They rested when others worked. People were constantly surprised by how different Christians were. So it was a big deal when somebody became a Christian. But after the edict... February 3.13, verse 1, and many others, uh, other verses like it, started to lose its meaning. So take a look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Um, How great is the love of the Father has, been, has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that's what, uh, that's what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The reason the world did not, does not know us because, is because it did not know him. Christians started to become part of the world after 313. We started to believe that we, were, we became part of the power structure, and we started to believe that if Christians did everything right, then actually the world would love us, that there wouldn't be any persecutions anymore. After all, we are in power. But John foresees as Jesus foresaw this, so he wrote in verse 13 in our text together, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Jesus said the same. Do not be surprised if the world persecutes you because they hated me first. They persecuted me first. There will be times when the world will admire Christians for their difference. But don't be surprised if some hate you. We don't belong to the world. And we see extreme examples of this hatred even now. Around the world, just recently, a lady named uh, Miriam Ibrahim of Sudan was sentenced to death just because she became a Christian. She had to give birth while she was in prison. And after the international outrage, the Sudanese government hinted maybe that she would be freed, but she's still in prison now. 
Outright persecutions exist in our neighboring countries of Hong Kong, Myanmar, India, Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, even in China, and many of the Muslim parts of the world. Christian persecution is, this this has been um, one of the most persecuted times for Christians. It's getting harder in the West in many ways as well. In the U.S., for many people uh, think the U.S. is this uh, Christian country, but even in the U.S., just a few, a few days ago, New York Times ran a story about universities and how, what's happening with the Christian groups in universities. The, Christian, uh, the university, universities are forcing um, all groups um, to have no restrictions on their religion in leadership. So even Christian groups, uh, the Christian groups that have made faith statements saying that leaders have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the risen Son of God, uh, they're being forced out of the universities. Don't be surprised. But we're outraged. We're, we are surprised in many ways. But Jesus says, don't be surprised. John says, don't be surprised when these things happen. Christians will be hated because we are people who believe in certain truths about the world. We believe that Jesus' way, Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's an extremely unpopular position. We believe um, uh, our, our position on homosexuality. I've also heard many cases of people being outraged that Christians are encouraged to marry other Christians. Some find that offensive. Some find the Bible's diagnosis of human nature, that we are objects of wrath under God's, uh, pe- people in rebellion um, under God's judgment. People find that objectionable. Many Hong Kong people find that Christians, uh, when they don't bow down to ancestor pictures, they find that objectionable as well. Our beliefs matter. And so when we choose to act on our beliefs, the world will clash. Some will hate us. I know we try very hard and we made much progress in making, um, uh, uh, in, in becoming part of this world. But don't be surprised if there are points where they clash wildly. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas um, was having this conversation with a, a rabbi in Greenville, North Carolina. The rabbi told him, it's tough to be Jew in Greenville. We're forever telling our children, that's fine for everybody else, but that's not fine for you. You are special. You are different. You are Jew. You have a different story, a different set of values. Well, that's not just for the Jews. That's for Christians as well in this world. We should never be completely at home in this world because Jesus has not fully arrived. He hasn't come back yet. So we are resident aliens, as he calls us. And as the Bible calls us, as actually U.S., uh, as I was doing the taxes yesterday, U.S. taxes, U.S. calls me resident aliens. But anyway, um, we are Christians living in this world that's not ours. And we are special. We are different. We are a people who have a different story, people who have different values. And the world, to some level, will not know us, will not recognize us. And if they do know you so well, Maybe that's because we're not being different enough. Maybe there are areas in which we have compromised our Christian faith to fit in to this world. So are people, surprised, are people around you surprised at your difference? Do they recognize that you're different? Or are they surprised when you tell them that you're Christian? Of course, I'm not asking to go out and look for trouble 
But I am asking, does our faith make a difference in the way that we live? So in many ways, we are, as we live this radical life, life that God, Jesus has revealed to the world, we will stand out, and some will hate us. And I think this is many, uh, many ways why uh, Christians have highlighted the points of difference as we live in this world as well, points uh, where we, places where we think differently from the rest of the world, and that's natural. So unfortunately, because we have done this, uh, unfortunately, many people, when they think of Christians, they think of uh, things, uh, uh, they think of uh, us as Christians as people who stand against something, against the world's values. So maybe they'll think of us as a, as a people who are against gay marriage, against abortion, against premarital sex, abo- uh, against euthanasia, or getting drunk, or whatever these, thi- uh, these things that we have drawn our lines And while, once again, it is true that our beliefs should make us different in this world and it should make us stand out, but all that I've said should not be the first thing, the first thing that we stand out um, against the world. The, the, The way in which that we should stand out first, the first and foremost, is love, John says today. The world should know us by the our love for each other. It's not that we shouldn't stand against these things. We should be loving. We should be so loving. We should be doing that so well here in this world so that the first thing that people think of us, think of Christians when they think of us, is love that we have for each other. You see, love isn't something tacked on at the end of Christianity. You know, we get all our uh, beliefs uh, right and then we love. That's not, not, that's not what John says. Look at 11. This is the message that Christians have heard from the very beginning. It's from the beginning that we should love each other. It's at the right, at the essence of Christianity. From the very beginning, we have been telling, Jesus has been telling us to love each other, that this is the great commandment for us. And God has made us his children, and we have become his family. We love each other because we are made brothers and sisters in Christ. John tells us, John called us his, his children, and God, John called, uh, tell, told us uh, last week that we are made his children in 3 1. Uh, and and uh, though this passage, then this passage calls us not just his children, God's children, but it calls us brothers and sisters. You see that in verse 10, and verse 13, and verse 15, and verse 16. He does it again and again and again. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We love each other because we have, be- made, we have been made siblings in God's family. And this, of course, doesn't mean that we automatically somehow love each other, that this feel- intense feeling for uh, each other grows. That's not, that's not what this means, but... It does mean that there forms a particular kind of love in our relationship. Partly, uh, it's the love that says, I'm not going to walk away from you. We can't get rid of each other because you are my brother and you are my sister. We are bound by our common parents. It means that we decide to share life together as family. It means we celebrate joys together. We mourn together. It means that we shoulder one another's burdens Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? This isn't emotions. John helps to define this love in a very particular way, doesn't he? Take a look at verse 16. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What John is saying is this love is a particular kind of love, love that the world might not recognize. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that says, I am going to lay down my life. The love that costs something to me so that you can have life. It's that kind of love John is talking about, even to his uh, own life. I was talking to a uh, uh, head of a, a fairly large Christian missions organization, and he said something that I thought was very illuminating. He said that some groups of Christians give out of their abundance, abundance, when they have above, above and beyond what they need to maintain their lifestyle. So their lifestyle stays the same. And when they have more, they give more. When they have less, they give slightly less. And, and, and to a certain extent, that's natural. But his point was that that wasn't particularly a Christian kind of giving. It wasn't this committed, I'm going to support you and support this, even if it costs something to me. Even the world does that, doesn't it? When they have abundance, they give away. But Christian love is giving even when it costs something. It's a self-sacrificial giving, self-sacrificial love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and died for us. So do you give? Are there things that you have sacrificed you cannot do because you have given to the extent that it hurts a little? And of course, this isn't just about money. Rico Tice, um, Christianity Explored, uh, often says that love is spelled T-I-M-E. It's not just that he's a bad speller. I mean, he's dyslexic, but he's not. Um, T-I-M-E, love is time, he says. Some are good at giving money, but not very good at giving time. And just as we sit down to plan our giving money, I think we should sit down, have t- make time, plan to give time for each other to our brothers and sisters here. It has to happen in, in, in a city like Hong Kong in order for us to be a family together, to spend time with each other. It has to be planned. And I ask that uh, while you're thinking about this, may I ask that you also think about serving in, in, in ministry that are dire in dire need. Um, Heather and Ryan are leaving tomorrow. Uh, uh, Heather has been serving. She came to his church and she started serving right away and she's been an invaluable teacher uh, for us and she's leaving right, uh, she's leaving tomorrow. In the past couple of months, we've lost two teachers, um, uh, as well. Uh, Penny has left, uh, to New Zealand. Uh, uh, Jess has gone back to Canada. We are, we only have 11 teachers and we're now missing three teachers. If you have that sort of gifting, would you consider serving in this, giving your time in this way? Rhoda is soon leaving this summer to go to seminary. Uh, over the summer, Solid Rock will need more volunteers. At every level, we need more volunteers. Would you consider giving your time in this way? This is our family. And you might be worried about, well, I don't, you might be worried about burning out, maybe giving um, ourselves too much. Well, many things are competing for your time, I know. But I think that's the problem, because that's the mindset that we all have. There isn't this abundance of love. There isn't this abundance of giving. There isn't this abundance of time, because not enough people are doing these things. Right? If everybody volunteered their time, 
you would be on a roda. <laughs> you would get the rest that you need. If we all did this, if we all had a stake in God's family here in Shatin Church and we gave, if we all did this, there would be abundance. What are we known for as a Christian family? Are we known for love? Are we known for self-sacrificial love? Is there abundance of love in this church? Or are we just squeezing, eking out, getting by? This is a big theme in our church uh, right now, and it will be in the, uh, for the coming years. We had the, our committee retreat um, about this radical hospitality, radical love, and we are planning to do all sorts of things trying to get us to love each other. Because we believe that God has placed us in Shatin Church to be a kind of community that tells people around the world that there is a different kind of love in Shatin Church, in Shatin, that God has arrived, that there is a different kind of people because we love and serve Jesus. This is the concrete goal at some, at some, at some point. You know, if, if there is an unwanted baby in this church, somehow this happened. There's an unwanted baby in this church. We want to be the kind of community that says, that rallies around this family and says, you know, don't give this baby up. We will take care of you. We will take care of your baby together. That's the kind of vision. That's the kind of family that we need to be. We want to be. That's the kind of family that God is calling us to be in Shatin. And we're not going to get there overnight, I know. But we need to start thinking of ourselves as brothers and sisters who have responsibilities for one another. Money and time. We can start, we can start by, I think, babysitting for children. You know, a lot of times when babies are born in this church, uh, and, and not just in Shatin Church, in many churches, they go away. They're not seen for about a year or two until they're grown up a little bit because they're doing it on their own. They're not having all these aunties and uncles helping them out, brothers and sisters helping them out. That's, we, we want to prevent that as much as possible. We want to be a family that cares. We can start by inviting link groups to your homes and sharing life and meal, meals together. I know space is often a problem. This is one of the reasons why uh, the committee thought that it was a uh, 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 priority to get a space that where our church family can meet together. There are nice comfy chairs and kitchenette and things in the, in, in, the, in the church center. Do come and share life together there if space is an issue. We want to be a church family. We want to be known for our love. Why are we known for that now? And last, like last week, I think as you listen to this, I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not doing these things enough. It's the first thing that, uh, as, as you study First John, a lot of times is uh, people feel is guilt. We may feel like we're, not, we're too much like the world and we're not distinguished enough. We may feel that we haven't loved enough and not self-sacrificially. We, and, and real, uh, but we realize, you realize that this section is written to give you assurance, not guilt, assurance of salvation. Take a look at verse 14. He says, we know, we know. We have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know this, he says. And John thinks that this sort of thing is self-evident. Two weeks ago when we talked about orthodoxy, 
right beliefs. He told us that the Holy Spirit testifies to what we already know, that Jesus is the Son of God. There is a self-evident uh, nature about these things. When the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts us of the truth. In the same way he told us last week, in chapters 2, 28 to 3, 10, that there is certain inevitability of change in us. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed, God's seed remains in him. People who are born of God inevitably change, he said. And that's how you know that you are God's child. And the logic is the same here in this week as well. We know that we have become Christian because we love like Christ did. This isn't something that we have to do. We, we don't love so that we become children of God. John says, you love already because you are already God's children. And he wants to assure us that we are already his children. So he says in what he writes in verse 19, so this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest um, in his presence. Actually, Sorry, I said that, but then I need to explain a little bit. In verse 19, verse 19 is slightly confusing, so let's take a closer look. It's one of the, I, I love this pa- passage, but it's slightly a confusing passage. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. The big question is, what is this? How do we know? How do we set our hearts at rest? Does it refer to verse 20, the following verse? If our hearts condemn us, We know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So it might be saying, if verse 19 is linked to 20, it might might sound like what he's saying is that we can put our hearts at rest when our hearts convict us because God knows better than us, because God is bigger than us. God knows something that we don't know, and God will call us his children because of the greatness of God. And I know that might sound really assuring, but I actually don't think that's what this says. I think that's a good option, but I think it's the wrong option. I think the right way to link as, uh, read this is to link it to the previous verse. Uh, the evidence of conversion is in our action. Evidence of conversion is in our action. That's where the assurance is. That's what he's been telling us uh, throughout this chapter. That we have the right belief assures us. That we have changed assures us. That we love assures us. And that's how we set our hearts at rest when our hearts convict us. So this, in verse 19, I think refers to verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with, with words or speech, but in action and in truth. That's how we know that we belong to the truth. When we love each other, when we love each other, when God has given us such love that we are moved to love each other. And there is a level of assurance in knowing that we love each other. And that's the, really the summary of faith. We don't make it so easy. God doesn't make it so easy. God doesn't just say, believe. And if you believe, no matter what you have done, God knows your heart, and so you can be assured. That's not what John's saying. That's not, God, that's not what Jesus says either. We must believe in such a way it moves us into love, into loving one another. That's where the assurance is. And it's so basic, 
verse 23. This is the basic summary of faith, verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. To believe and to love. Both need to be there. And once again, you might be feeling a little bit of a guilt or feeling that you haven't done enough. So let me give you some assurance here. Because I think there are many people who do this in this church. As I think about Shatin Church, I, I really love our church because I love the people here and the, what, what you are doing. I, see, I can see what God is doing in you already. Yeah, we're a church of many missionaries, people who have abandoned their homes and come here to do work amongst people who they don't know, people who need uh, love. There is self-sacrificial love there. There are people who are serving Obviously, in the music team and, 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 and refreshments team, setup team and com- uh, committee and PA and um, all sorts of things. I, you know, I think we, count, we can count about 80 to 110 people who are serving in this church. It's not a gr- big church. I think it's about 40%, 30 to 40% serving in the church. And that's a fairly high number of people serving. They serve sac- sac- self-sacrificially. Kingdom Kids teachers and helpers, Revelation Warrior teachers, Solid Rock volunteers. And I, I really do think that Solid Rock volunteers are amazing. That, you know, it's not an easy thing to give up their Saturdays in your 20s. It's not. Every Saturday they give up to teach your children. There are people who can count on, I can count on for hospitality in this church. Because they're hospitable people. And as you know, Carl passed about a year ago. And there are people who still care for his family, even now. There are people who self-sacrificially volunteer their time and money to complete the church office project as well. I love that there are so many families also. I think this is just such a great thing about Shatin Church. So many pe- families who have adopted children, who foster children. Because I think such a, this is a, such a great picture of the gospel. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the Del Favreau families were recently featured on Pearl TV um, not long ago uh, um, for their role in foster care. And I don't think it, it featured uh, the Del Favreau family, but also uh, featured um, the pastor of the Vine Church, Andrew Gardner, uh, for, their, uh, for adopting I don't think this is an accident that a TV program about foster care and adoption featured two Christian families. Three. Ah, thank you. This comes naturally to Christians on many levels because of the love of God in them, in us. God has adopted us already. We have become his children, and so we bear his likeness in adopting and caring for children who people can't care for, who people don't want to care for. So there is assurance here. We are like Christ. We bear his image. It comes to a certain degree. It comes naturally to us. But it doesn't come naturally to the world. This is why there's a TV program about this. And I'm not asking you to go now and pat yourselves on the back right now and congratulate each other to the, for the job well done. But... Um, this isn't works righteousness, but there is love that God has poured out in us. We are his children, and God is growing us in this love. He's wor- certainly working in us now. So as we end, once again, let's end with where the text ends. It ends in verse 24. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. 
Once again, this spirit he gives us, it's not just this special kind of feeling or even a feeling of closeness, closeness to God or even spiritual gifts that God gives us. That's not what he's talking about here. He has talked about faith, spirit manifesting itself in conviction of our faith, spirit manifesting itself in the changed lives, in people growing in holiness, and spirit manifesting itself in creating a new community of radical love for each other. That's how the spirit is working. It is working. But don't be surprised if there are difficulties ahead. Don't be surprised if there are people who don't understand you and hate you for it. They don't know us because they don't know Jesus. But if we are to stand out, let's not stand out for many lesser things. Let's stand out in our great love for each other and our love for God. And to the extent that God has made us his children, are growing us, let's give him praise for the things that he's doing in this church and around the world. Let's pray.